It's time for Herd Mentality, the weekly episode where you control the discussion today on Locked on Bills. You are Locked on Bills, your daily Buffalo Bills podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Bills Mafia? Joe Marino, author of Go Bills and Buffalo's Run, also the co-host of the Lockdown NFL Scouting Podcast, and I'm your host of Lockdown Bills. I want to thank you for making Lockdown Bills your first listen every day, and please be sure to subscribe or follow for free on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts. We're part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. Well, folks, it's time for Herd Mentality. You know the drill. You send the questions. I give you my insight or whatever answers I can provide. And there's a lot of good stuff to get into. Let's get started. First one today comes from Tom. Tom says, this DeAndre Hopkins thing reminds me of the Christian McCaffrey deal. The Bills had their toe in that water. And at first, people thought San Fran overpaid. Did they? He made a tremendous difference. If Hop ends up in Kansas City, which would seem like a good move for Kansas City, they will be even tougher to beat. I think they should step up and get this done. Remember when the Bills got James Lofton? He made a huge difference. He was 34 or so when he joined the team. Lots to unpack here, Tom. I, I appreciate the way that you phrase this question. Uh, certainly provokes some really good thoughts here. Uh, first, you bring up Christian McCaffrey and whether or not San Francisco overpaid or not. And I think time will tell there. Obviously, he made a huge impact on that offense, especially as they had to play several different quarterbacks, gave them some stability for that offense. And that style of offense really needs a running back to make it go. Now, they won some playoff games, but they didn't get to the Super Bowl. They didn't win the Super Bowl. And I'll be interested to see if they get that done, considering a very interesting quarterback situation where you have Brock Purdy who caught some fire at the end of the season, not sure about his long-term long-term outlook as a franchise quarterback. You got Trey Lance, who they traded three first-round picks to get. Hasn't even really had a chance to play. He's been injured. And <laughs> there's, a, there's a world where Sam Darnold is their week one starting quarterback. But is Christian McCaffrey going to be the difference in them winning a Super Bowl, or continuing to just be a really good NFC team. But I will not debate whether or not he made a difference because he absolutely did. Now, I do want the Bills to trade for DeAndre Hopkins. I hope that they get that done. And I think even despite the report from Tim Graham last night that was barring any major developments, the Bills will not trade for DeAndre Hopkins. This stuff happens all the time where there's a lot of posturing through the media. And then on draft day, something happens. And I would not be surprised if that's the case with DeAndre Hopkins, where maybe something doesn't get done before the draft, but during the draft, it will. And yeah, you don't want this guy going to Kansas City. There's no question about it. So not only do you not allow Kansas City to take that step with DeAndre Hopkins, but you get them for yourself, right? So I certainly understand that piece of the pie as well. So I find myself hoping for DeAndre Hopkins. I would love 
his skill set in this offense and a true compliment to Diggs. And I'd love for the Bills to have that legit other guy to go with Diggs, right? There'd be no question about whether or not Josh Allen had all the weapons necessary to win the Super Bowl for the Bills. So I, I do see it from that angle too. I will say this about Kansas City and wide receiver. They've lost Juju Smith-Schuster and have not made any other moves to actually replace him. So right now, their top three is Marquez, Valdez, Scantling, Sky Moore, and Kadarius Toney. To go with, obviously, Travis Kelsey, they still have a huge hole at offensive tackle. So Kansas City's got issues, too. Their defensive line rotation's not quite what it was last year with some of the guys they've lost versus who they brought in. So that's a team that's still trying to piece together their 2023 roster as well. But you certainly find some extra motivation in going and getting Hopkins for yourself because you want him for yourself, but also because you don't want him to go to Kansas City. So I am I am actively hoping the Bills get DeAndre Hopkins. The next one comes from Scarecrow, and the next couple of questions here are going to be centered around Spencer Brown. Scarecrow says, I have a question for you about Spencer Brown. My biggest concern for his future development is his foot quickness. I think he has slow feet, which is why he has trouble reacting to speed rushers, and this gets him beat off the snap too frequently. Do you think foot quickness is something he can develop, or is it more of a natural trait? Well, I'm going to have to disagree with you here. I think Spencer Brown has exceptionally quick feet. I have no concerns about his ability to move his feet and redirect his weight. I think his foot quickness is outstanding, top tier. To me, his issue is his footwork and taking good pass sets and framing blocks. It's not the speed in which he moves his feet. It's how he moves his feet to put himself in good positions to frame pass rushers. And so I think he has to work on his pass sets, the footwork within his pass sets, but also a tendency to play tall where he's very upright. And I want to see more bend at his hips, more bend at his knees and taking better sets to put himself in positions to win reps. But I think it really comes down to framing blocks and staying square in pass pro more than it is anything to do with his ability to move his feet quickly. Mike says, I wanted to expand on your offensive line discussion. I remember when I first saw Bobby Hart in that jumbo tight end position, I didn't understand what was happening when I first saw it. My first thought was, why in the world is Bobby Hart in the game? I didn't see anyone go down injured. Then I counted the number of offensive linemen and thought, okay, let's see how this plays out. After a while, I realized that when I saw Bobby Hart in the game, it was guaranteed three to four yards on the ground. With how the O-line is shaking out, do you see someone Do you see someone who you expect to slot into the jumbo tight end role for short yardage? Yes, absolutely. I, I like this question a lot. Um, I think Tommy Doyle is absolutely that guy. He did it during his rookie season in 2021. Remember, he caught a touchdown pass in the playoffs against the Patriots, right? That was a thing that happened. Um, but yeah, he did a nice job in that role. And then I would believe it was the intent for him to continue in that role last year. But he tore his ACL in week three and was out for the rest of the season, which opened the door for Bobby Hart to do that. But I think Tommy Doyle is your leader in the clubhouse to take on that role once again. 
Mike had a follow-up or a second part of his question that I want to get it to get to here, and it's involving Spencer Brown. He says, also with respect to respect to Spencer Brown, are we done making excuses for him this coming season? Is it fair to say that he needs to take a big step this year and be the player who Bean drafted him to be? I don't mean to sound insensitive, and I'm not saying there aren't legitimate reasons for his lack of progress to this point, but before we start next season, can we officially say that there isn't an excuse for him this year? Thanks for giving me something to think about year-round. Thank you, Mike. I think you can look at Spencer Brown through two different lenses. One, that yes, he absolutely needs to take a step forward this year and be a better player and be a more consistent player. But you can also understand why that hasn't happened to this point. It's the Dawson Knox conversation all over again. Literally, you have elite physical traits, you have elite talent in terms of what they're capable of doing, and you have a pathway that to this point in their football career, it makes perfect sense why they're not the best version of themselves yet. Both players, Dawson Knox, Spencer Brown, they made position changes going into college and both had their own story in college, but usage was an issue. Spencer Brown only two seasons in his life playing offensive line before he enters the NFL. Dawson Knox played tight end in a Mickey Mouse offense that didn't use tight ends. The guy didn't catch a touchdown pass in four seasons at Ole Miss. Both supremely physically gifted. Both come into the NFL and have opportunities to play right away, but their performance is very uneven. You give it a little time, and when you have this combination of talent plus habits, a lot of times it works out. And Spencer Brown is in that conversation. Yes, he has to play better. I recognize that. I want him to be a better player than he is. But let's be mindful of the context and reasons why he hasn't been better to this point and realize that this is his first offseason, right? He had back surgery last offseason, could do nothing until literally a couple of weeks before the Bills played the Rams to actually get ready to play a season. And you, everyone expects him to get better from one year one to year two when he didn't have the time to get better. So let's see what it looks like this year. So yes, this is the excuse-free year for Spencer Brown, but there are also legitimate reasons that we should be extremely mindful of for the reason why he hasn't played two expectations to this point. And hopefully he's better for everything that he's been through. And so I see both sides of it. I really do. I really do. All right, we got a bunch more to get to here, but first, let me tell you about FanDuel. The tournament is heating up, and now is the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sports book, because new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Then you can bet on everything from the money line to point scores and threes drained. Plus, FanDuel even lets you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with a same-game parlay. So don't miss the chance to get your no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. All right. The next one today comes from Brian. Brian says, can you help break down what RAS means when discussing the athleticism of players? What are the positives of having high RAS, like in the case of Spencer Brown? And what are the negatives for a low RAS? 
I've seen that DeAndre Hopkins has a below average RAS, yet he has unquestionably had a great career so far. Just trying to make some sense of what it all means. Thanks and looking forward to hearing your upcoming draft content. So RAS stands for Relative Athleticism Score. And I'll give you the definition of it through the person who created the metric, Kent Lee Platt. You can follow him on Twitter at MathBomb. He defines RAS score as this. A player's relative athletic score is a metric that compares the player's athletic testing to that player's position group from 1987 until the player's draft year. These individual grades are compiled into a final composite score that gives a general idea how athletic a player is compared to their peers on an intuitive 0 to 10 scale. And so 10 is perfect, 9 plus is elite, 8 plus is great, 6 plus is good, 4.5 plus is okay, 2.5 plus is poor, and then under 2.5 is very poor. So it is this metric that takes into account historical norms, and it also adjusts for size. So if you are six foot, 200 pounds, and you run a 4-4 40-yard dash, it's not as impressive as if you are 6'1", 240 pounds, and runs a 4-4 40-yard dash. So it does factor in size into the equation. But Whenever we talk about athleticism, and I care a lot about athleticism, I do. It's a big part of the way that I perceive football players. But how you play football is always the most important part of player evaluation. Now, with that said, factoring size and athleticism is also helpful and important. The overwhelming majority of great football players are also great athletes. Now, there are exceptions. Like you mentioned, DeAndre Hopkins, very average athlete, great football player. And there's great athletes that aren't necessarily great football players. Hello, John Ross. Hello, TJ Grant. That's definitely a thing. But it's just another data point to consider. Scouting, and I've explained this before, scouting is risk assessment. You take all the information possible that you can find, You measure it against historical information to find indicators of what the most likely outcome for that player is going to be, and then from there, you assign a value. I hope that makes sense. Overwhelmingly, the best football players are top-tier athletes. There are exceptions. There are bad athletes that are good football players. But the most correlative piece of Good athlete, bad athlete, good player, bad player is good player, good athlete. Next one today comes from Bills WZA, who says, what do you anticipate out of the Bills running back trio? Do you anticipate all three will dress every week? What would you predict regarding the breakdown in carries? Would you imagine Harris getting most of the first and second down carries, or would you predict Dorsey will mix things up? like this question. And obviously at some point this summer, probably in July, I'll do my yearly predict all the offensive stat, all the offensive stats for the players, right? I'll do that. But just kind of looking at it very preliminarily right now, this is how I would see it. Uh, First of all, I think James Cook is your lead running back. Lead as in Bill's terms, lead, not like Saquon Barkley lead back. But I think your primary ball carrier 
is going to be James Cook. And then I think it'll be Damian Harris. And then I think it'll be Naheem Hines. So in 2022, Devin Singletary touched the football 215 times, James Cook 110 times, and then all the other running backs. So like Zach Moss, Naheem Hines himself, Reggie Gilliam, Duke Johnson, they touched the ball 45 times. So that equals 370 touches or 23 23 per game for running backs. Now keep in mind, the Bills only played 16 games last year. So if I were to take 17 games and take it from 23 touches per game up to 25, which I think is a pretty reasonable place to project the Bills running back touches. That includes carries and receptions. That gives me 425 touches to disperse throughout the season. And so if I had to just piece it together right now, I would expect those 425 touches to be something like this, 200 for James Cook, 150 for Damian Harris, and 75 for Naheem Hines. I reserve the right to change my mind, and I will certainly follow up with this again in July. Sean says, I stumbled on a Bills mock draft wide receiver pick, Andre Yosevis, and when reading his profile, the description matches many first-rounders. What delineates a guy like that from first-round consideration? The write-ups and measurements on guys between many rounds can seem so similar, and it's tough to understand how their projection can be so far apart. Also, what do you think of Andre Yosevis as a late-round flyer? So Andre Yosevis is a wide receiver from Princeton that is really athletic, and he has good size. And so he's one of those height, weight, speed prospects and really did some special things at Princeton. The question with a guy like him was, how does he translate against better competition? And a name that was invoked for Andre Yosevis in the lead-up to the Senior Bowl was Christian Watson. And so Christian Watson does what he does at North Dakota State, goes to the Senior Bowl, and was one of the best players there. Andre Yosevis did what he did at Princeton, goes to the Senior Bowl, and really didn't look very natural as a wide receiver. There were some things, I even talked to him, and he said a lot of this stuff he's never done before. So there's just a rawness to an Andre Yosevis. From a size and athleticism perspective, he's got it all. But from a uh, playing the position, he's not there yet. So there's some rawness to him. I think Andre Yosevis is the perfect mid to late round wide receiver investment that has some developmental upside. But I don't think you can justify a first three-round pick on him just given his rawness as a football player. And so I don't I don't know what write-ups you read or who wrote them. You know, I, I, I can't validate what you found. But a lot of write-ups could lean into the appeal and developmental appeal, but there's also that curve that you're mindful of. And given the jump, right, we talked about taking information, piecing it together, and trying to figure out your most likely outcome. You love the physical traits, but the football needs work. And so that's going to push you down the board. And not only does the football need work, the football that has been good came against the Ivy League. So hopefully that helped you um, with your outlook when you're navigating through this stuff moving forward, Sean. Next one comes from Rochester Bills who says, if we make no other moves before the draft and you could take two players in the first two rounds who reasonably could be there when we draft, 
who are the two players that you want? It's a fun question. I think my dream, my dream first round pick right now is Jackson Smith and Jigba. I don't think he gets to 27. So being realistic here, I guess because I'm so nervous about middle linebacker, Jack Campbell's kind of the apple of my eye for the first round. Now, ideally, you would move back a little bit and draft him. But can you really play that game? We'll talk about it more tomorrow. Our podcast tomorrow is going to be all about linebackers in the draft and what the Bills' approach should be. So I'll flesh that out a little bit more. But right now, I'm I'm on the Jack Campbell train. In the second round, I'd love a defensive tackle like Keanu Benton out of Wisconsin, who I think could play the one or the three, has pass rush ability, run stuffing ability, wrestling background, Midwest guy, Wisconsin, just feels like a guy that's going to be a bill. And so I'd love for those two picks to be the picks. Now, then I'm kind of interested in a third-round wide receiver. Think about a guy like Marvin Mims out of Oklahoma. I would love that. If the Bills' first three picks were Jack Campbell, Keanu Benton, Marvin Mims, Wow, am I going to be a happy dude. And then I'd love to see them get a toolsy edge rusher kind of in the fourth round and then get some tight end depth and then fill out your roster the rest of the way. But that's kind of my high-level approach as we speak right now to what I would like to see the Bills get taken care of. Need a starting Mike linebacker. Need some meaningful pieces to add to this defensive line rotation. Need another receiver that can be a top three option for this offense fairly soon. Need some depth at tight end. That's what I'm thinking about right now. All right, in just a moment, we're going to talk about Isaiah Simmons as a potential trade target and some other draft ideas right after a quick break. All right, the next one today comes from Be Cool. Be Cool says, would Isaiah Simmons, and Isaiah Simmons is a linebacker for the Arizona Cardinals, was a first-round pick of theirs a few years back. Be Cool is asking about Isaiah Simmons and wants to know if he'd be a good fit for Sean McDermott's defense. I looked. His stats are almost identical to Edmonds last season. Edmonds is 6'5", 250, 94 tackles, one sack, seven pass breakups, one interception. Simmons, 6'4", 238, 99 tackles, four sacks, seven pass deflections, and two interceptions. He would seem to have the range of perhaps more than Edmonds, but is less stout. Just curious as your thoughts as I would like as I would like the cards might be willing to move him. Yeah, I, I think I think you're correct in that the Cardinals may be willing to move him. And I think Brandon Bean has done a good job throughout his career of identifying new regimes taking over. And whenever that happens, usually they kind of turn over the roster. They want their own guys in there and are going to be willing to kind of move on from some players. And Isaiah Simmons is definitely a guy that is dynamic in terms of physical traits, but has yet to really find the right position for him on the field. I think Arizona has really struggled to get him in the right spots to unleash his skill set. And I think Isaiah Simmons is a guy that is more of a versatile back seven player than he is a true Mike linebacker. If you thought Tremaine Edmonds was not a good downhill player and a good take on player and a good run stuffer, my goodness, are you not going to like Isaiah Simmons? So Isaiah Simmons has more coverage range, and I think he's probably – more dynamic laterally, I think he can do more in coverage, which Tremaine sets a high bar. I mean, certainly Isaiah Simmons is capable of a lot there, but downhill ability, man, it ain't there at all for Isaiah Simmons. He's not that physical dude. He's not going to be that dynamic physical presence despite having good size and athleticism. So when I consider a guy like Isaiah Simmons, 
and Sean McDermott's defense, I go back to Carolina. I think about what they did with Shaq Thompson as more of an overhang defender, kind of a big nickel, um, that type of role. That's where I could see him. I don't see him at all coming in and being a Mike linebacker that you're happy with because I think there's going to be some limitations that are always going to be very costly for your unit. But if you're willing to be versatile with him and play him in the overhang, maybe play him, play him in some deeper alignments, I think you can get some good value out of Isaiah Simmons, but not as Mike. Chris says, my two cents on the number 27 pick is anything that will help 17 and 14 stay connected. It just felt that down the stretch, most notably in the playoffs, that team shut down digs and there was no other option wide receiver two or three or a tight end. I see what you're saying there, Chris. Um, Not sure if the only way to get that done is pick 27. Um, yeah, I think there's other ways to do it. So don't marry yourself to any one idea. And and that's something that I need to remind myself of as I feel like I need the bills to find a starting linebacker at pick 27 right now. Obviously I'll sort out my own thoughts here and tell you what I think there, but I think the best way that you can make sure that 17 and 14 stay connected is make teams pay for trying to take away 14. And that's by being more consistent and having more efficiency targeting your ancillary weapons. And Gabe Davis and Isaiah McKenzie in particular didn't do a good enough job of making teams pay for the attention that they paid to Stefan Diggs. And so hopefully guys like Deontay Hardy and Trent Shurfield and, and Khalil Shakur in year two can do a better job with that. Also Dawson Knox. And here's what I'll say about Dawson Knox. And, and this is a quote from Josh Allen. Josh Allen said, I think it was on one of the uh, interviews with Kyle Brandt on his podcast, where he said, for whatever reason, when we get the ball to Dawson Knox, our offense is, is a lot better. <laughs> we'll do it. <laughs> Throw it to Dawson Knox more. I don't know what to tell you, man. But I think that leans into, okay, the more you can get everyone else going at an efficient rate, the better it's going to be for Josh and Steph to be on the same page and continue their production. You have to make teams pay for giving so much attention to digs. Also, I think another thing you could do is really do a better job of involving your running backs in the passing game. And you got James Cook and Naheem Hines. I mean, you could throw up the ball to those guys and Damian Harris is also a baseline receiving back. So yeah, you'd love to see some more help. And maybe that comes with pick 27, for this entire philosophy that you have about making sure that your investments allow 17 and 14 to stay connected. But I think at the root of it, it's making sure that you're making teams pay because you should be having some great matchups. If you're rolling safeties towards digs, the middle of the field should be open. Your ability to get the ball to other weapons should be very efficient and simple to do. Guys got to win battles. Guys got to win one-on-ones. And so that's what I think needs to happen here. Again, hopefully the additions to this point can help. And, you know, maybe there's more coming. You you want to talk about taking attention away from Diggs, put DeAndre Hopkins on the other side of him. That ought to do it, right? So going all the way back to Tom at the beginning, right? I'm, I'm in on it, folks. I really am. All right, next one comes from Matthew. Matthew says, is trading out of the first round realistically an option this year? I can see a team wanting a fifth-year option for a player like Hendon Hooker, and that's the quarterback from Tennessee. 
but I don't see a team that would want to pay a first round pick plus extra assets to trade up to get him. Yeah. I think trading out of the first round is absolutely realistic and something that should be absolutely on the table for Brandon Bean. Now you don't want to get too cute, right? If, if you have something in mind, don't move too far back that you're not going to get it. If you feel like you need to get Jack Campbell and you think 27 might be a little bit early, but you need him and he's the right middle linebacker to take over for Tremaine. I think you got to, got to sit there and pick him. But if you've done the work and you really feel like you can get back to pick high thirties, right? Maybe right around 40 and get him and pick up an extra day two pick to go with it. Yeah. That'd be wonderful. That would absolutely be wonderful. And honestly, the Bills should really be thinking about moving back. I think the way that this draft is going to fall, that the value might not be there at 27, and you might like picking up that extra day two pick and giving yourself a little bit more flexibility. Heck, you could trade back and use that extra day two pick to get a trade done with DeAndre Hopkins and still have two day two picks to make your team better. So I I would surely be exploring that idea if I was Brandon Bean. And I, I think you're right, Matthew, that a Hendon Hooker being there could entice somebody to move up. And that would be a great scenario for the Bills. But I appreciate the point that you make there that you need to have a partner. You need to have a reason a team has to have a reason to come up and that fifth year option is obviously big. And, you know, certainly we've seen it with quarterbacks um, in the late part of the first round of the past. And so, yes, the bills should be thinking about this for sure. Now, if the right guy falls, if Jackson Smith and Jigba's there, yeah, you just sit there and pick them. But I can be talked into trading back this year for sure. All right, folks, that's going to do it for us here today on the podcast. Tomorrow, my plan is to talk linebackers with you in the draft, uh, kind of what I think the Bills' approach should be. We're going to talk about a lot of the prospects, the guys that I like, the guys that I don't like, some popular names. We're going to uncover it all tomorrow on the podcast, unless some big breaking news happens. If that's the case, we'll turn our attention to that, get to the linebackers on Friday. All right, folks, that's it for today. As always, I kindly ask that you share, subscribe, rate, and review to the podcast. Have a great rest of your day. Go Bills, and I look forward to catching up with you again tomorrow.